Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Short-Term Show. Today, I get to interview someone who I'm a really big fan of and that you may be aware of. If you're a real estate agent, you're aware of him for sure, Ricky Carruth. How's it going, Ricky? Good, good. It's good to be here. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. So let's start off uh, with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your background. I know you're an investor also and uh, you know all that fun stuff. Introduce yourself. Yeah. No, I've been in real estate since I was 20 years old down here in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Um, got in and started selling condos on the beach. So short-term uh, rentals was my uh, niche. Did that for 20, more than 20 years. And uh, got into buying and selling, you know, I have a lot of long-term investments. I've bought a bunch of condos, but I don't keep them. I, I buy them and rent them for a couple of years and sell them and then flip that into other stuff. Like we did a commercial deal. We flipped one into a commercial deal and I flipped another one into a bunch of new construction homes. So yeah, just was an agent forever, um, was the number one agent, you know, in my market for a long time. And uh, then I got into coaching agents, started that route. And just love it. Yeah, travel and speak a lot and um, do a lot of content and help a lot of agents. We've helped thousands of agents double and triple their volume. And, um, you know, it's it's a lot of fun uh, to do that. And so, you know, I you know, still dabble in real estate in terms of the listing and sales. My dad handles the day-to-day. I still do the marketing piece of it. I was just texting a, a client about listing a condo you know, right before I hopped on here. And uh, no, outside of that, I'm I'm focusing on building an apartment complex. You know, breaking ground this year on that. We closed on the property last month, and so excited about that journey that we're about to go on. And uh, yeah, I'm about to be on tour I, from about February to September-ish. I normally do, you know, two or three or even four cities a month, and then I kind of take off in the winter time. So I'm just coming out of hibernation, you know, regrouping and getting back on the road. So no, I'm excited. I, uh, whenever the pandemic hit, I was pretty loud about that. We were fixing to have this massive market boom, um, which we did 2021. And then when that died down, when interest rates started going up, I said, Hey, you know, prices still aren't going to crash. A lot of people were talking about prices crashing and, um, yeah, I hadn't been completely hundred percent right on every little thing in terms of predicting the markets. You know, I kind of lined up with some of the mortgage gurus that last year, you know, we'd get back down in the fives and the mortgage rates, which didn't happen. You know, a couple other little things. But the one thing that I've been 100% correct on was that prices weren't going to crash. 
and they would continue to hit all-time highs, which we did, and uh, we'll continue to do. It's not going to, you know, go to the moon like it was. You know, it's not. We're not going to see twenty um, percent increases. You know, a ten percent increase actually isn't that crazy. You know, from where we are in a twelve-month period. But I think we'll get back down to that. You know, three to five percent a year, which is great for us to get to where we were and hold it. A lot of people say it's not great because people can't afford, you know, these prices and everything. But, you know, where where is the problem really? Is it, you know, is it that prices are high, or is it because we don't have enough supply to kind of keep up with the demand? And then you've got the uh, silver tsunami, you know, of you know, 10,000 people turn to 65 every day. And people say that's going to create so much inventory over the next 5, 10, 20 years. We're going to be oversupplied at that point. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there, you know. Yeah. For, uh, if, you, if you're looking to get scared, there's a lot of stuff that you can turn to. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't have those fears. Um, and look, who knows what's going to happen over the next, you know, 20 years. 50 years or a hundred years, you know, with, mm -hmm. uh, with the market, with the world, whatever. But, you know, we can look day to day now and we can look over the next three to five years and kind of have a good idea of where we're going to be. I think the biggest thing with people is, is they don't really prepare for worst case scenario. You know, uh, I lost everything back. I made, I made a meal when I was like in my like 22 and then I lost it all in the crash. The reason being is because I was buying and flipping a bunch of properties you know, on an interest-only loan, money they should have never let me borrow, and I didn't really have a backup plan if these pro if I couldn't sell those properties. When I should have been like, well, if I don't sell these, then I can at least rent them and cover at least the mortgage. But like those mortgages were way higher than what I could have rented them for. You know, so like that backup plan wouldn't have worked. But I shouldn't have bought those property. Like you shouldn't buy a property if you don't have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. You know that that could be solidified. That's like a lot of these people that flip, flip properties and they get in trouble. Um, they didn't really have a backup plan. Like I know a guy, I, I mean, this story is out there like over and over and over again, you know, you buy a house to flip it, you know, you, you buy it and now you can't sell it for what you, you got in it. You know, yeah. you're like, you know, 150,000 upside down and you can't rent it for what your payment is. You don't buy that deal. You yeah, know, sometimes yeah. you have to buy those kind of deals to get in those situations to learn what not to do. I was in those situations. So, but yeah, no, I'm just, yeah. I'm trying to make the best moves possible with a backup plan. You know, I think that's the, that's the best bet when you're investing and, uh, and then it's fun because <laughs> yeah. you're like, I like, it doesn't matter what happens. See that that's how you set yourself up for the market crashes Yeah, is, is you have a great backup plan. And when you have a great backup plan, it's like, great. I don't care what happens with the market. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And so in 2020, I had we we were we started investing in 2013. And it's really it really is impossible to time the market. So back then we were buying a long-term rental in Nashville and we went to all the local real estate meetups and they all the more experienced investors were telling us Nashville's over, Nashville's over. You had to buy five years ago to make money on a long-term rental in Nashville, talking yeah. about how much money they were spending on direct mail and stuff. And then, so we were getting really discouraged and we we're like, man, we missed it. What are we going to do? We went and bought a house right off the MLS that cash flowed over a thousand bucks a month, which was unheard of in long-term rentals back then. So I think that, you know, everybody has their opinions on what's going to happen and, and what will or won't happen. Nobody really knows, 
But I think that the key takeaway there is like, you can't time the market. So when is the best time to get in? It's it's when you can. You know, I think that now there's, I'm calling it the great stalemate where there's no inventory because no sellers want to list in a high in, in a high interest environment um, because they don't want to then become buyers in a high interest rate environment. And they also don't want to have to take a hit on their property value because they have to sell for a lower price for it to make sense for investor buyers to buy at that interest rate. So because, and then for primary homeowners, they don't want to sell because then they got to turn around and they can't even make a lateral primary move without paying more uh, because of the interest rate. So we kind of have this inventory problem because people don't want to list because of that. People don't want to buy for obvious reasons because of the interest rates. So for me, I think there's a little bit of a unique opportunity here because there's not as much buyer competition. And I'd love to hear, you know, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So, so what's the theory? There's, there's not a whole lot of buyer competition. So it creates downward pressure on prices. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that as an investor right now, there's a, a decent opportunity if you're patient and persistent to get a better deal on a purchase price than two years ago when the interest rates were in the toilet <clears throat> and everybody and their mom and their chihuahua was jumping in and buying. Well, in a relative basis, right? I think mm -hmm. the price, even a good deal today is still higher than what it was two years ago. Oh yeah. Right. But yeah, relatively speaking, um, you know, are you, can you go out there and find deals that are, you know, quote unquote, better deals in today's market than what you could find two years ago and, in, in, you know, two year ago market. Yeah. Yeah, you can. There's definitely more opportunities now. Um, are there a ton of opportunities? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a ton of opportunities, but but there are opportunities. You know, um, I think it's just all about like looking for the cash flow. For me, it's cash flow. I I don't like flipping. You know, I do flip, mm -hmm. but um, just you know, we did like ten flips or so last year. Um, we're in the middle of two right now, so we we do them, but. I'm just not crazy about them. If it's something that fits my portfolio, then I'll buy my other partners out and keep it. You know, mm -hmm. like we've did about, I don't know, a hundred to 150 flips. And um, it's like, if we would have kept the best 20 or 30 of those, God, we would be so loaded right now. You know, <laughs> um, we would be so much better off than just flipping it, making 10, 20, 30, 40 a piece, paying taxes on that. And then, you know, going and doing it again. Um, but that's where I am in my life. Like, um, you know, I'm in my forties, so I have like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, left. Some of the guys I do flips with are a little older. So they're like, I don't want to be sitting on money. I want to, I want to turn and burn. So it's like that, that plays a factor too. Like, where are you in your life? Where are you in your investment journey? What's important to you? But yeah, you can find deals, you know, you can always find a deal. You can find yep. more now than you could two years ago. Um, but there's not a whole lot. You know, right. so again, cash flow. So like I bought five brand new construction homes last year, DR Hortons. And the reason being is because they bought down the rate for me. They, you know, I got like a five point something on an investment loan. You know, they bought that down for me. They paid 5,000 closing costs. They, you know, gave me incentives and, you know, gave appliances and stuff, you know, no maintenance for five years because it's brand new. Um, you know, the, the, the payment, the cash flow on these are so good and I couldn't find it anywhere else, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm like, oh, let me load up on these, you know, like I looked around, I found it and then I, I loaded up, 
you know? So, and I had looked for stuff, something that would cash flow for a while. Yeah. You know, for like a couple years, I was kind of looking for things to buy and I was picking up a little thing here and there, but, um, nothing, nothing as good as that. So I was like, shoot, here we go. Boom. And, you know, I put a lot, a lot behind it. So like you say, patience, I, I looked around yeah. for like a couple years, you know, for that, those kind of deals. And I'm glad I jumped on them because they're doing great. Um, prices have already went up in those neighborhoods and, uh, you know. I was really kind of like looking for an apartment complex, to be honest with you. And I couldn't find anything that made sense with the interest rates the way they went. And none yeah. of the sellers of those places had really come down to reality yet. They have not. <laughs> and so I kind of got bored waiting on something to happen there and just bought these instead. And then I was like, well, I do want an apartment complex, though. You know, shoot. Here's three acres in a good spot, a few miles from my house, close to the beach, building a brand new school. I'll just build. I'll just build an apartment complex and have automatic equity, you know, just from the fact that we built it, you know? So just like keeping your eyes open, looking for opportunities, not getting too antsy. I mean, when you when you start out, it's like, go buy anything. Yeah. You know, just find something that makes a little bit of sense, even if you're only making like 200 a month on the cash flow or something on like a $200,000 property, it's paying the mortgage and all the expenses plus two, 300 bucks. That's, I mean, and you're like, well, I'm only making two or 300 bucks a month, you know, but here's the deal. Just, just on just basic inflation that, that rent's going to increase and the, and the value of the property is going to increase. And you're going to look back five years later and you're going to be making like $800 cash flow. The property's worth, you know, a hundred thousand more. <laughs> You're like, I'm glad I bought that property. Sometimes yeah. the least sexiest deals, you know, end up being some of your greatest investments. I've got two duplexes that are kind of older, but I've redone them. They're in great shape. I bought them for a hundred thousand a piece back in 2010, and the rents were like five hundred a piece. And everybody's like, Why are you buying that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm <laughs> buying this. I just have a good feeling. And I bought them. And now they're paying like $1,200 a unit. They're paid down. They're, I've, you know, like the rent has paid them down. Like only owe like 20,000 a piece on these properties now. And they went from a hundred. Now they're worth three to 400. It's like, wait a minute. You know, this, this deal that nobody wanted that was only cash flowing like a couple hundred bucks a month, like ended up like literally I'm sitting on like a million bucks worth of equity. And I'm making what I'm making like five grand a month, you know, off of those properties. Like, so these, so these properties that nobody wanted now just made me a million bucks and I'm making currently 5,000 or so a month, you know, off those properties. Like that was, you know, great move. I wish I would have bought like, you know, I wish I would have bought more just like yeah. that, you know? So once you go through that and you actually own something for like five or 10 years and you see the power of kind of how it all how it all like unfolds yeah it, it makes you very it makes you perk up a second and think all right let me let me get more strategic about this yeah yeah for sure i love i love ugly properties and i love properties um I've, a lot of investors are like oh it has to be off market no it doesn't i got seventy five thousand dollars off a $900,000 beach house in um, Cape Sandblast in the Forgotten Coast because the listing agent had terrible pictures. Their front picture, 
you could kind of see what the front of the house looked like, but it was mostly a close up of a dead tree from like the last hurricane that came through. And because they only had that and then they had a picture of the garage where the guy's truck was on. And so the taillights were all you could see. And then one blurry picture inside the living room. It was a brand new house. I bought it in 2021. It was built in 2019. But everybody just scrolled past it because they didn't bother to go look at it. So, I mean, a good a good ugly house or just good ugly pictures uh, because a listing agent didn't do their job or one of my yeah. favorite ways to find deals. I mean, both of those duplexes were on MLS that I bought. And I bought another fourplex that was on MLS. Nobody mm -hmm. wanted it was 200 grand it, and I had to put like a hundred plus into it. It was in pretty bad shape, um, but geez, like the, the rents were like seven. This is only like three or four years ago, maybe, or five years ago, I bought this thing and the rents were like 500. Now they're 1250. So the building's producing 5,000 a month gross. I bought it for 200, put a hundred in it. And I could have sold it for 450, like a couple years ago. I had an offer for 450 on it, um, but I was like, I'm not letting, I mean, like, I've already, it's already like up to snuff, like I've rebuilt everything and the rents are only going to continue to go up. You know, the value of it's only going to continue to go up. Why that? Why would I ever, ever sell this thing? You know, I mean, there comes a day in time where you're going to sell stuff, you know, but it's 5,000 a month coming in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, let me, let me keep that coming in. You know, it's like I, I had a, um, I have a real estate office in Gulf Shores downtown you know, um, just paid cash and, you know, fix it up real nice. I'm like, I'm going to have a bunch of agents come here and work. Well, guess what? Nobody works in the office anymore. Right. <laughs> so, so I have this huge office where only like one secretary goes. And I'm like, I could rent that thing out for four G's a month right now. And that's just money because I have no mortgage. So I went and I paid cash for a little office, 200 grand for a little office and a little strip center that's in a better location, actually. It's a better location for me because it's closer to my house. Let me get that, move her in that smaller space that still has the same amount of office desks and stuff, and then I'll rent the office out for 4Gs, which I did immediately to one of the most prominent um, title companies around who happened to be downsizing at the time, perfect timing. And uh, it's just like, you know, I'm playing Monopoly over here. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like that. Well, you mentioned D.R. Horton, which I think is interesting because they have a terrible reputation among homeowners. Just I think they mostly do. because, yeah, because people are like, you know, they don't sometimes understand that like a house that has never been lived in is going to have some things just like a house that's been lived in a lot is going to have some some dings and stuff. But D.R. Hortons or other big, huge builders like that that are building at scale can be a really good opportunity for you as an investor because they have so many of these things to move that right now aren't moving. Maybe later this year they will or next year, you know, we don't know. But they are willing to do things like buy your rate down or give mm -hmm. you a, uh, a really good discount. Yeah. And I found that around here, there's a, there's a lot of them really across the entire panhandle of Florida. And you can get really great deals and they're beautiful houses. And around here, I'm sure Gulf Shores is probably similar that we don't have a lot of great long-term rental housing because you know we've got a lot of people moving here, but there's not a lot of long-term rental stuff. So having those is, is a really cool option. And something interesting happened over the weekend here with the DR Hortons. They went around and raised all of their prices on all of their units in every single neighborhood that I've looked at, which is about 10 of them, by 150,000. Wow, 150,000. 
Yeah. And so I'm interested. I don't know what if they know the last time they did that was around that time that you were talking about in 2020 when everybody thought, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. And then the real estate market shot up. And I'm like, what what data do they have? What do they know? This episode is brought to you by the premier short term rental Facebook group, short term rental, long term wealth. We have nearly 50,000 members. This is the biggest independently owned and operated SCR Facebook group, and it has been curated by yours truly, Cashflow Carl. Join us on Facebook. Search the groups for short-term rental, long-term wealth. That's short-term rental, long-term wealth on Facebook. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. It's interesting. I, I haven't seen that. Um, of course, I haven't looked. I was just trying to pull it up in my MLS and see if I can find. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear if they're doing that over there too. Find that, <clears throat> but um, that, yeah, that would be. I mean, but like things like that are going to happen. You know, um, it's just simple, just supply and demand, you know? So that's why I loaded up. I bought five of them. They were, they were in the three to three fifty range. I mean, think about this. Okay. Three to three fifty, four bedroom. Okay. 10 minutes from the beach, literally right across the street from a brand new high school. They're going to build and right, like right across the street from a new elementary school. They're going to build, um, they're fixing to build a new bridge over the new coastal go right to the beach. Um, and that's where I bought these, uh, this three acres to build this apartment complex too. It's literally one mile from where they're putting this bridge in. That's going to be like, boom, a straight shot to the beach. Um, and right just a few miles from this new high school. But I mean, how do you get in the right place at the right time? Well, you got to get in the game. Yeah. <laughs> you got to buy some looking. stuff. It's like how, you know, why do people get so lucky that they own these properties, you know, before prices escalate? Well, they, cause they got in there and they bought some properties at some point. I mean, you got to get in there and buy some properties, you know, to be in position to to reap the benefits of a market surge, you know. And and listen, if the market pulls back, you had your backup plan where the rent more than covered the the mortgage, okay. And if the market pulls back, guess what? I'm loading up. I'm buying. I'm buying. But if the market pull back like 30, 20, 30, 40 percent, my goodness, I'd be buying properties left and right. You know, not worried about the value, the temporary downturn of, of of equity that I'm experiencing in the properties that I bought. Why do I care about that? I bought them to keep them for 10 years. Right. Or even longer. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, like short term temporary price decreases, which chances of happening are super low. But even if it did, here's what we do. See, when you have this backup plan where it's like, okay, Here's what we think is going to happen, but if this doesn't happen, then here's what we do. That's when you go to sleep at night, you know, with a clear conscience that, you know, that you're that you're in the right place. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think 
Like when I first started buying in 2013, I was jealous of people who bought in, in 2010. And then in 2020, people were jealous of me who mm. were buying in 2013. And then now people are jealous of people who bought in 2020. So it just, you got to get in there. The best time to buy real estate was always yesterday. Second best time is today. Yeah, right. But so I want to hear a little bit about what you think. Of course, nobody has a crystal ball or can predict the future. And we are but real estate agents here, not economists, but you've been through a lot of cycles. You're, you've been, you've seen it all. So what do you think the rest of 2024 or maybe not just the rest of 2024, the next couple years of real estate is going to look like? I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to get back to normal a little bit, you know, where we get back to four and a half to five million transactions in the country for existing homes. And what were we at last year, by the way, for, I kind of want to give people that reference. So normally we're like five million is a great year, you know, five millions, you know, great year. And, uh, you know, in 2021, we hit 6 million, you know, the peak back in the 08, I think it was 2007, we hit 7 million and that was the most ever 7 million existing home sales. And then six million in 2021, and then 2022 we had four million. No, no, no. Let's see. 2022 was around the five million. So we had a six million, then five million. 2022. Then 2023 was four million. And four million was literally exactly the same amount as 2008, which is basically the worst of the years. You know, it was technically so we were, a crash, just not in yeah. prices. No, it, it was a crash. We were it was it was literally the same as two thousand eight when it comes to number of transactions. It was you know as bad as it gets. I mean, they compared it to two thousand ten. They compared it to two thousand to uh, nineteen ninety four. This is as bad as it gets. Could it go worse? Sure, you can go down to three and a half. You know that'd be like really really bad. But I think we'll get back to something normal like a four and a half to five million transaction year, which is just like the twenty year average basically, mm -hmm. right? I think yeah. we'll get back there. I think we'll get back to like a three to five percent national, you know, appreciation. Which you know, when we say these national numbers, like three to five percent. Well, some some markets that year that you see three to five percent experience ten twelve percent, and some experience a little bit negative. Right, the three to five percent is an average, basically, of of all the markets in the country. People get that confused, you know. They're like, "Oh, three to five percent." Well, what about Miami? What about New York? What about you know Nashville? What about Birmingham? It's like, yeah, all those markets are going to be different. This is the national average we're talking about, you know. So, in a three to five percent appreciation year for the country, some markets are going to see ten percent. Some markets are going to probably go negative. So that's something to keep in mind: how local, you know, markets really are. But on a national basis, I think we'll get back to that three to five percent, you know, appreciation. Just, just normal, right? Normal, normal uh, inventory, which we got a long way to go with that. But I think we're yeah. slowly kind of like, you know, thawing out. Um, I think sellers are finally getting used to really to higher rates. Um, they really want a new home. Here's the thing, right? Here's the thing nobody's talking about. There's so many people who are dying for a new home they need an extra bedroom or they hate where they are because they've been there for so long or they want to be on the water or they need to relocate, but they feel locked in with their interest rate like you were talking about. And that that group of people that do not like where they are or really want to move is growing. That that group is just growing, growing, growing. That's pent-up demand. That's people that want to do something but can't yet for whatever reason or not doing it for whatever reason. And that those and and the the temperament of these of these people is is you know that want to move is growing as well. 
Mm-hmm. So you got this group of people, these trade up sellers who really want to move, but they can't for whatever reason. Then you got these first time home buyers. This just we've we have more first time home buyers sitting on the sidelines than we've had in decades since the baby boomers. So when you combine those two demographics, the trade up sellers and the first time home buyers, it's it's crazy how much pent up demand we have. And I think that the trade up sellers, both both parties actually are starting to get used to the fact that we have a little higher rates, a little higher, way higher rates. Um, and every time we see a downtick, we see an uptick in, in activity. But uh, as prices increase, that's more equity that the trade-up seller has. So you bought your house for 300 and now it's worth 500 You know, you don't want to sell because you're sitting, cause your loan is too, you know, your loan is too 70 you know, with, uh, you know, 4% rate, you know, but when you sell, you're going to get a check for 250 grand that you can put down on your next house, right? Or use it to buy down the rates and et cetera. You know, so I think people are looking, they're like game planning. Mm-hmm. People that want to move and stuff, they're like game planning. Like, how do I, how do we do this to where it makes sense? You know, we have all this equity we can use towards the new home, towards the next home that we really want. How do we make it make sense with mortgage rates and and buy downs and stuff like that? So I think people are like getting to the point where they're figuring out how to make it work. And that's why we're seeing a little bit of uptick in inventory. You know, I think we'll just continue to see that. Yeah, I I agree with that. And so you mentioned there were roughly the same amount of home sales last year in 2023 as in 2008. So you've experienced both of those. What do you think the differences are? Because everybody's like, it's going to be 2008. It's going to be 2008. Well, we've seen the same amount of homes being sold as back then. So very, very low number of homes being sold. But I think everybody was hoping for this huge price crash that didn't happen. So what do you think are the differences between those two times? Well, back then you had for selling, you know, there was the foreclosures, right? And so it was the people that lost their homes. Uh, they had to give it back to the banks and the banks weren't, weren't going to sit on the properties. You know, they're not in the business to, to, to own properties. They're going to sell them as quick as they can for whatever they can get. And so it was kind of like the perfect storm. It hit all at the same time. You had this massive amount of foreclosures. And then, so the banks owned all these properties at the exact time that we were in the deepest recession that we've been in in a long time, where people just didn't have the means to go buy homes, A, and B, you know, n- not only did they not have the, the the means to, but they were scared. You know, they were scared to make financial, you know, uh, commitments. Um, so it was a very scary time. You know, Lehman's Brothers crashed and like all this stuff was crashing and burning. The stock market was crashing. So like everybody was scared, frozen. Even the people that had money were scared to do anything. And then most people didn't have money to do anything because of how bad things got. So like, it was just like this perfect scenario for prices to go down where there's just over inventory. I mean, there was 4 million listings at the time. Right now we're at like, you know, six, 700,000. You know, there were 4 million listings at the time in 2008. Oh, wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. So you got 4 million transactions versus, you know, 600,000 right now. So there's always this pocket of people who are going to buy, can buy, will buy. Okay, mm-hmm. And that's why closings never stop, no matter what the market's doing. There's always that group of people that are willing to or want to and can buy. And so with the, with the inventory really low, you know, the reason why prices have continued to go up, even though there's way less transactions, 
is because inventory is so low and you've always got those that pocket of people who will buy. And so those people that will buy, they're basically fighting over what's there, which which isn't much. That's why prices have maintained versus back in the day, that pocket of people that would buy, hell, there was 4 million listings. So they basically could take their pick and basically say, hey, I'm not going to, I'll just go buy this other one if you don't take this price. You know, and they were able to negotiate the prices down because there was so much inventory. But now you don't have that luxury. There's nothing else. And if you want that house, you're going to have to pay what, you know, you, this now, now it's the reverse. The seller's saying, if you won't pay this, then I'll sell it to this other buyer who will. Mm -hmm. Versus in 2008, the buyers were saying, hey, if you don't take this low price, I'm going to go buy this other house over here. So the buyers had control in 2008 and the sellers have control now. That that's really, I think, the biggest difference in in what yeah. what's really happening behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, I would I totally agree with that. We have this joke with our agents right now that because we're there is a big disconnect in what sellers want for their properties versus what our investor buyers are willing to pay at the moment because of interest rates. So it makes it difficult to pencil out that sellers think it's twenty twenty one and buyers think it's twenty eleven, and we're all yeah. trying to like get them to come together there. Yeah. And you know what I think is is kind of interesting right now too is like what properties when you're going to like show a potential seller a CMA or for those of you who aren't familiar with that term it's when we show you comps of what your property should be able to sell for of recently sold sold properties I like to make sure that we're including pending and active properties now too because what something sold for even 3 or 4 months ago may not be what we're able to get because we're starting to see that uptick in inventory just slightly. And so if you're wanting to price, you know, 20,000 above another home in the neighborhood that's very, very similar to yours, we got to get you under that if you want it to sell now. We have to make yours look like a better deal than that. So, yeah. And I think that the even like CMA sold comp prices are kind of not catching up still with where the market truly is. It hasn't yeah. quite come down. Yeah. Yeah. Because because you got to think about that comp, you know, it closed two months ago, which means it went under contract, you know, a month or so before that. So really the comp is really like three months old now, you know, when the market has changed a whole lot in three months, you know? So, I mean, I always did that. I always took all the active uh, market stuff that's happening today. Like, okay, this one's on the market for this many days at this price. This one's pending. It was priced at this. It went under contract in that. I mean, that that's the only way to really comp stuff at this point, because you can almost show it too to your, to your prospects, you know, like this one closed two months ago for this and the seller saying, well, I like that price, you know, okay, <laughs> but here's one priced exactly the same as that, that went on the market, you know, 45 days ago that's still sitting there. And I called the, the agent and they said, it's only been shown four times. Price the same amount as the one you're saying that you'd like to sell it for that closed two months ago. But this is how much the market has changed, Mr. Seller. 45 days ago, property just like that and just like yours, one of the market for that same price that closed. And they, they priced it off the comp just like you did. Of course, at that point, it was two weeks old instead of two months. But it's only been shown four times in the last 45 days and they haven't had any offers. You know, so I mean that that's the story. You've got to be really good at painting that picture, you know, as an investor, as an agent, uh, around the reality of the market today versus the market when that comp closed, you know, 30, 60, 90 days ago. Yeah. 
it's it's definitely different. And I would say too, appraisal values are different than what the market will pay right now. I had a a deal I was buying out west a while back, and we it had been on the market off and on for about a year. And it was listed at 1.3. It had been listed at 1.5 previously. We were able to get it for a million even. And we ended up not buying it for a number of reasons, mainly because we figured out it wasn't in the area we wanted to be in. And the agent was being super aggressive, like trying to hold us in the deal, trying to making stuff up, saying, well, you know, you're going to... Um, and we terminated under all of our contingencies. We used the inspection. It needed a new roof, blah, blah, blah. The agent was trying to tell us stuff to hold us in the deal. Like, well, you know, the agents, uh, they get the earnest money if you terminate. And I'm like, no, no, they don't. That's not true. So anyway, we we got out of it and it ended up selling. And a few weeks later, that agent texted us and was like, hey, just so you know, this house sold for 1.1, but it appraised for 1.4. So you guys would have had the best deal that's been done in this county in four or five years because it's worth 1.4. And I'm like, but it's not though. Because mm-hmm. it sat on the market for a year and it sold for 1.1. You can't right. go get 1.4 right now. So I think that's something to be wary of too, is like sometimes appraisals aren't really right where the market is either. Oh, that's a hundred percent true. I mean, you get bad. I mean, we see bad appraiser appraisals all the time. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's just, but you're at the mercy of them at the same time. Yep. Yes, we know? are. <laughs> and you got to work, you got to work with them. So, yeah. So I guess what, would you say, and if somebody is on the fence, like, you know, maybe they are thinking about trading up, uh, maybe they want, you know, they've got a couple little properties, they want to consolidate into one big one. In terms of the market right now, what would be your advice on when you think would be the best time to list? I don't know. I mean, it just depends on your situation, why you're looking to sell, you know, I mean. Let's say we're we're a want to seller, not a have to seller. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're a want to seller, it's almost like you you never mm. list it, right? <laughs> you just never list it. You just keep you know you 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 keep waiting until you go from a want to seller to a <laughs> <have> to. <laughs> really want to, you know, or or you know it's time or I'm going to no matter what. I mean, if you just want to, if you know, then mm. kind of whatever. Um, yeah, you got to get to a point where you you know you really want to, you know, where mm. you're like, okay, I'm gonna sell it. And this is what I'm going to do with the money. You know, that that's where you got to kind of be, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing too, when you sell an investment property is what are we going to do with the money? You know, that that's, that's part of the problem. Why a lot of these people don't sell because they don't really know what they're going to do with their money. You know, so they're like, why am I going to move that money from there? Where am I going to move it to that makes sense? You mm-hmm. know, where I can save on taxes and I can be in a better investment and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, but outside of that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, once you get to the point where you're going to sell and you know why you're selling and where you're going to put the money, then that's when you list it and you figure out what the best strategy is to get the best price. Um, But, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, there's better deals right now. Um, You know, people are being a little more negotiable and stuff like that. That doesn't matter because we're still in a quote unquote seller's market. Yep. Although, you know, you may be able to, buyers can maybe, you know, find a little, like we said, yeah, there's some, you can get better deals than you got two years ago, but still there's hardly any still at that, at that, right. I mean, the fact that like you could go find one means like one means something, you know, sellers are still in control for the most part, especially looking historically, as far as like how many months of inventory you have, we're still, you know, in that, you know, seller's market category, you know, when you look at the overall market, 
Mm-hmm. And of yeah. course, we're coming through like the winter, you know, where things are a little slower, you know, let's see what it looks like in the spring, you know, let's see what it looks like over the next 30 days I and mean, kind of see what direction we go in in terms of that seasonal cycle that we normally go through and kind of see where we stand, you know, like we could do this podcast in 45 days and have a completely different conversation, you know, based on what could happen, you know, over the next 45, 60 days. So, you know, at at this point in the year, you know, because we're basically filming this February 1st, at this point in the year, um, you know, where you're right on the brink of that normal seasonal upswing of pendings and closings and activity and buyers, it's almost like if you're talking to me on February 1st, sure, let's wait 30 days and kind of see what happens, what transpires, you know, and then kind of create a game plan over what we feel like the rest of the year does based on that spring activity. But if you're just asking me in generally, like, you know, we're in June, July, November, whatever, list it. <laughs> let me list it, man. You yeah. let me to come by or, you know, take a look at that thing, see what we could sell it for, make you a nice deal. All right. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. So is there anything else that we haven't touched on in terms of like where we are in the real estate cycle that you think we should touch on? I think we're in the beginning stages of the next like, 10-year run. A lot of people disagree with that. They feel like there's got to be a crash, I mean, a price correction before that can actually happen. That's not the case. If you look um, back through history, that's not the case always with recessions and, you know, uh, interest rates, hikes and stuff like that. I mean, it, it happened in 2008 where we had this massive price crash. But again, that was for selling from tons of foreclosures from bad loans that's just not happening. So I don't think we're going to have, listen, we did have a price correction. It was just so temporary. You know, it was like from March, 2022 to December, 2022. Okay. We saw this kind of little bit harder downtrend than the normal seasonal downtrend of prices. And that, that in my opinion was our price correction, you know, for, for the, for the real estate market. We went through that. We hit all-time highs again last year, and we're going to hit all-time highs again this year. Uh, we're up right now. We're up like four percent nationally right now from where we are this this at this point last year. So we're right on we're right on target to get mm-hmm. back into a normal year. But 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 to answer your question, I feel like we're like we're we're kind of you know coming out of the ashes of this the worst year we've had transactionally since two thousand eight. That I think was our bottom. I think our bottom for prices was December 2022. Our bottom for transactions was 2023. And I think now we're just going to get back to a normal, slow, steady pace for another decade until the next, uh, until the next, you know, correction of whatever sorts that looks like. So I think the time to get in is now. Um, I think the time to, you know, to get into the market and and create those long-term plans for investing is right this second. Yeah. And sounds like a real estate agent, is. right? Every yeah, year, yeah, yeah. It's a good time I mean, to buy. <laughs> it always is though. Like I said earlier, you know, at, you're always my question of, of those people is ago. this. My question is, when was it a bad time to buy? Right? And a lot of people will say oh, 2008 or whatever. You know, 2000, 2007 or 2005 or whatever. I'm like, okay, yeah, if you would, if you were going to sell it in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, but like we, we got, it took a while, but real estate prices got back up to the peak and then kept going, you know, 
So sure. I mean, if you didn't have a backup plan back then, that's why I say just have a backup plan. You don't have to, you can buy anytime you want, as long as like you've got your, your, your contingency plan in order. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're planning to be a buy and hold investor and you make sure that your numbers work and that they're not just slightly working, but working well so that you can take a potential hit, you know, if rents go down or if, you know, if there's a recession or anything like that, just, you know, basic being good real, real estate. I bought, I bought those five brand new construction DR Horton homes, literally the peak of prices last year. I put them under contract like June-ish, like May, June, July, literally the peak last year. You know, then we went into the like the winter and the fall and winter and prices mm -hmm. kind of softened and stuff. I mean, I bought five new construction homes at basically the peak. You know, if that tells you anything, like it's it's a good time to. A lot of people are like, "Well, you're a real estate agent. Of course, you're going to say, you know, buy any, you know, every time, every every whatever day, what whatever day it is, that's the good time to buy." I'm taking my own advice. You know, I bought five new construction homes last year at the peak, and I'm doing well with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's always, always deals in any market. They might not be as easy to find. You might have to dig a little bit harder and find something like that. You know, in 2000, when was it like 2017, 2018, there were great deals just laying around on the MLS at any given time. But that was, you know, oh my God, that's longer than I want to admit ago right now. But you know, that was a long time ago. And in five, six years from now, people might be saying, oh man, in 2024, there were great deals just laying around on the MLS and nobody was buying them. So to reiterate, best time to buy real estate was always yesterday. Second best time today, though. So just take it from a couple of real estate agents. <laughs> Go buy some houses. Ricky, thank you so much for coming on. If our listeners want to follow your YouTube, Instagram, all that, where can they find you? Yeah, just look up Ricky Carruth on any of the platforms um, and go to zero to diamond.com. Um, to join my community. we got 10,000 agents there, investors, agents, off-market deals, referrals, listing challenges, scripts, email templates, business planning, the whole nine yards. All right. Well, Ricky, thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to come on. I am a huge fan and we'll catch you later. Thank you.